of my guiding things is to create things that people haven't seen before, right? Mm. The, the world and people love new things, right? So it's like the way that you create new things, in my opinion, is you take all those things that you went super hard on, right? You went into music, you went into sports, you went into filmmaking, you went into audio recording, whatever, and you combine them now. So you're a combination of these disciplines that you've gone super hard in. When you combine those together, you create new things. Right? You take someone who's like, I spent 10 years playing the guitar and 10 years making films, and now I make guitar films. And they're Language. I don't know if I can sweat. <laughs> but it's like... All right, guys, welcome back to the Crew Coffee Podcast. The person I'm interviewing today has such a unique uh, experience in the cinematography and just image-making world, as well as he's the creator of the software that I use for most of the educational content that I create. Uh, He's a really talented cinematographer, and he's somebody who's really inspired me to become a filmmaker back in the early days. Um, And today he's really creating multiple different tools that I think is going to start a really new generation of indie filmmakers, as well as just uh, younger photographers who are looking looking for ways to get involved in a lot of these things that you feel like you need an expensive camera to create. So I'm excited to have Matt Workman on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Hey, man, it's a pleasure. It's nice to meet you. That is quite the intro. Thank you very much. (laughs) I was joking with my uh, friend the other day. I I just like uh, sharing some of the passionate things that I love about the people that I interview. And uh, every person has been like, I don't know if I can live up to that that intro. (laughs) It makes me feel bad. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's, I'm glad you're on, man. I'd love to give you the chance to um, kind of introduce yourself and what you do in the in- industry, uh, as well as some of like your passions for filmmaking as a whole. Yeah, sure. So I started off um, wanting to be in the film industry, watching music videos primarily. And I was like, those look awesome. And I want to make those. And I kind of just pursued that as much as I could. Um, I didn't quite go to college for film. I tried to, there really wasn't like quite uh a film department where I was going to school. So I ended up just going to New York city through like an internship program. And that's when I started to like get on set, like back then, like Craigslist and Mandy.com, those were super viable. Like this is like, like pre iPhone, right? So it's like the internet was like still kind of new. And I was like able to like, you would like apply to a job and you'd get it, you know? And it's like, cause you, cause you knew how to write like even reasonable email back to someone on Craigslist yeah and then you end up like on a legit set you're like oh my god I'm like <laughs> on an actual set it's it's much different now I'm, I'm sure um but I was able to like get on some movie sets as like a second AC that's crazy. and like I was, I was an intern and then got bumped and it's like I was like two months on a movie from Craigslist like this is nuts and then commercials and it's just a lot different I think back then um and then I went went into like full-time DP work out of college in New York City shot a ton of music videos like hundreds into commercials into getting onto an agency as a dp and you know really trying to push that road uh but then at a certain point with family and just different things happening and you know uh, i started to get into software because i was working into like really i was shooting like really complicated like motion control vfx stuff um i was like really my interest and there was just a lot of computer work happening a lot of 3d graphics and that sort of thing. And at a certain point, I was like, hey, like eventually filmmakers are going to need to have these tools, right? It's like usually like, oh, like big movies have them and big VFX companies. I was like, but my computer is getting pretty fast and like I can kind of make some stuff. And I uh, slowly made the transition into making um, software for filmmakers to be able to like do camera work and lighting, but in 3D. And then at that same time, I started a company called Cinematography Database, and I started making YouTube videos, which you said you watched, which is kind of embarrassing, but also like kind of cool. <laughs> and uh, 
I continue to run cinematography database less on the less on like the content side like I used to do like quite a bit um and really now we have like a like a fully fledged um kind of software platform that currently is called Cinetracer and that's uh that pretty much wraps it up I think that's that's today <laughs> that's awesome and and it's uh it's fun to see like the journey of how like all of these different things developed I think a lot of filmmakers and photographers don't like see the full like oh I started here and a lot of these different things influenced me to be able to actually develop what ended up being your uh, I think is one of your like more passionate projects now like you pour a lot of time a lot of creativity and a lot of energy into this software and that came not only from like I remember watching one of your videos about how on your early stages you were interested in developing games and then being a filmmaker really influenced how like you applied that into the industry yeah I mean it's you know it's it seems like the it seems like really um like hard to put it together like how does this happen like it, yeah. especially if you don't if you don't know what Cinechaser is yet it's like kind of like a video game but it's also like a filmmaking <laughs> pl platform in a sense and it's because i liked video games like an awful lot and i liked filmmaking an awful lot and i was just like i i can't separate the two and uh we're just kind of in a place with technology that like you know most not mo like most filmmakers or a lot of filmmakers have a powerful enough computer on their phone in a lot of cases you know yeah to be able to make you know make incredible things in cg and film them and have you know i think one of the main things that drives this new industry are led lights i used to i used to own hmis if anyone has ever owned an hmi <laughs> yeah extremely expensive they take a ton of power you can only plug one in per outlet and it's like you know they were pretty bright but like now it's like we have like i can plug in like eight aperture lights into my you know home outlet and light up a whole green screen which i'm currently sitting in front of in my house and it's that's like crazy. You know, this is a kind of a new world yeah that's huge and i think that like a lot of people are scared about some of these innovations for one they've been investing into equipment to be able to do these things but i think that uh, the innovations are coming so quickly which is only allowing us to focus on the most important thing which is developing our craft and i think that like whether you've invested into a bunch of HMIs or uh, like even been able to like buy studios to be able to practice these kind of things. The, the bigger thought is yes, I invested into the tools then, but knowing that the craft is what really is the most important thing to like grow as a filmmaker. And I think that like, a lot of people would even watch your content and see like your little back room with all of the lighting gear and, and, and C stands and say, man, I can't like learn what he's teaching because I don't have the tools. But what's really fun is you've opened up a door for anybody at any level that um, with um, with any kind of equipment or computer almost almost can open up an application and start to really grow their ability to know how to use the tools and then even go on Craigslist, get on a set and be able to apply that in a very, very high end way with all the pre-knowledge that they did with the not that expensive software. Yeah, I don't I don't push that angle that hard. Uh, I think yeah. but I think a lot of people see it and use it for that. Like, you know, with the current lockdown, uh, I think basically every film school in the world has reached out to my company and asked. <laughs> That's you know, amazing. You know, because like within like a week or a month, they're like, we've gone from, you know, everyone in a room with a camera to everyone's remote. And yeah. it's like, how in the hell are we supposed to show camera work and teach lighting? And like, even if it's like basic stuff, it's like, we're at, you're at your house. We have, no one has these cameras, right? No one, like very few. So, you know, that, that angle, you know, using it for education is definitely there. And I would say like, especially if you're curious, like, I think that's like kind of the first thing is like, 
I, I still think I still have this question in my head. It's like, you know, it's like, what does a 50 millimeter lens look like in a medium shot if you're in the forest? Yeah. Right. And it's just like, oh, like, just what does it look like? It's like, I, you know, no, like, no, like trying to make it into a movie. Yeah, just like these basic things. It's like, what about a 35 on a dolly? And we move four feet forward. You know, there's like this, just like kind of like mechanical questions that you have to work out. It's like playing an instrument. You know, if, if you have that like kind of natural curiosity, then I think that, um, you know, Cinetracer can definitely provide that sort of, uh, like, experience. Just trying to, like, just look around and that sort of thing without having to physically be there. There's a lot of things about, like, a 50 mil in CG looks pretty close to the one in, in real life. And that's <laughs> it like, really you know, does. If you're just looking for, like, basic mechanics, I think that those sort of things are, are definitely uh, definitely possible. And those are the things that I think that really apply into the storytelling because it's not about even like there's a lot of things about different kinds of lenses, different kinds of filtration, different combinations of color science with different kinds of lenses and in and, and focal lengths. But all of those things are, are kind of the cream of the crop on top of everything. But a lot of your tools for storytelling can come down to the amount of depth of field, the frame of the shot, and then the distortion within the shot based on the focal length. Like, And all of those things can be learned and, and played with. And you can be curious about with like with the CGI program. And and it's funny to think about how like much this is advancing because like one of my favorite uh, shows this year uh, that was actually very heavily in the same engine that you do the game in. It was a uh, Mandalorian was wasn't it wasn't it done in the same engine? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have <laughs> a lot of, just, that could be multiple podcasts just talking about Mandalorian. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. Technically Mandalorian like I think something around like 30 to 40% of all the backgrounds were LED walls run by Unreal Engine. That's and wild. that's the yeah. exact same quality and visual that Cinetracer is running at and Fortnite and a lot and Final <laughs> Fantasy and a whole yeah. lot of games, but you know, both Mandalorian and Cinetracer we go for like photoreal. And I actually yeah. worked with I worked with the Mandalorian team for a month in LA on a similar project. That's wild. And it's it's crazy to think about nowadays cuz you can do so much more uh, so many different things for like filmmaking that were never possible before. And and even like, this was really fun. So for Easter, we were able to shoot uh, just this huge Broadway style musical with this extremely, extremely small stripped down crew. And we shot it uh, against a massive LED screen and we played on the LED screen, the background of the room, and we're able to develop this massive cathedral set without any mm -hmm. access to these buildings, especially with the quarantine. Um, and it was so much fun to be able to shoot that, being able to shoot the entire background. And then we didn't have the other walls, so we flipped all of the, the props and the actors, and then we just changed the background to the other side of the room. And we're able to light everything to match. It's it's really opening up new doors. Like what we didn't do in that is had Unreal Engine running. We had a a, a more static background, but mm -hmm. it's still like the, the the thought of Mandalorian really opened up that door. And I think that even games like Cinetracer start to open your eyes to different possibilities. Because um, even to the there's like there's a lot of things that I do in the tutorial videos that I talk about where I'll set up a lighting setup, everything's proper, how you would have it, keep your ISO at base, keep your aperture where you want it to be based on the image. But then even being able to know if I bring up the output uh, or bring down the output of my light because I have light bulbs instead of an aperture 300D, I can bring up the ISO and the aperture down to be able to compensate and still get a similar image. So like a lot of these different out of this like abnormal applications are starting to become more applicable with the idea of not having the limitation of reality, but still trying to make it feel real. Yeah. And I think that's, 
I think that's a lot what I'm bringing to the industry currently is that, you know, we've been able to do photoreal graphics, you know, in movies for a very long time. Uh, but, you know, they usually took like, you know, hours to days to months to render, right? And it has like hundreds of people doing it. But yeah. now um, with real time, uh, we're trying to make it so that it doesn't take hundreds of people. It just takes like one person. right? And so like you can bring, you know, more authorship and style and, you know, risk taking and the image making to these virtual sets. And I think that like the more grounded you are in or this is one type of application. like the more grounded you are in reality and like filming like you would in the real world, when you apply that to CG, it imagine it just it, like it just comes alive so much yeah. faster. Like you just you don't do like these weird flying around CG shots and like the stuff that's just kind of not tethered to reality. You can sense that and it feels really weird. But the stuff that I've been doing, it's like literally just like well, they're pretty high end demos still, but it's like you know an extremely photoreal person, and I just use a handheld CG camera that's literally that's me controlling it handheld in, in real time. It's like it just feels more realistic already because we're just used to seeing that and i i film in cg just like i'm filming the real world it's the same aesthetic so mm -hmm. you know if you if you learn really any craft you know uh say we'll say like you know practically or in live action uh that stuff does translate into digital and i think that's what we're going to be seeing in the next couple years is like people doing both you know yeah. versus like you know purely cg like if you've never held a real camera it, it I think you can you can kind of sense that when they do it in CG. So like I think the traditional fil filmmakers and photographers with those aesthetics, like they know what kind of lighting they like already. They know what light looks like coming through the window, and they're going to make sure it looks like that uh, in CG. It's like that's uh, I, that's an exciting kind of a proposition that I'm looking forward to. That's exciting. That's that's really exciting. And and this is kind of nerdy talk at this point. Uh, but something that was if, if you go on his YouTube channel, which I'd really recommend going and checking out some of his content, uh, he has a green screen setup where he'll be able to live cast to a computer the actual um, 3D environment with either real people or the characters and then real lights. And it's really interesting for the educational purposes, as well as just the cinematography purposes. Uh, but something that was really interesting to me is like, you, you, one of the reasons you would do that for indie production is because an LED wall is ridiculously expensive. Um, they like, and especially to get one with a pixel density so that there's not a lot of moray. Like we had that issue whenever we were shooting, you could slide a credit card in between the, uh, the, the pixels on the LED screen. So if you were too Ooh, close yeah, or at the yeah. wrong, like, uh, if you were at the wrong, uh, focal length, you'd get more A on the screen, but if we had them far enough away, you would be able to get a lot more pleasing image on the screen. And, and, and it's just very expensive to get something that has the proper pixel density. But what I've wondered, and this is just to pick your brain, um, could you possibly use something like a projector through a, a diffusion sheet to be able to create your three different projections without any more A, as well as doing it for like a super cheap price to be able to get that live cast similar to, um, something along the lines of Mandalorian. And I, and I know that there probably is some output issues, but I was curious is to, if you would consider that or, or have done anything like that. Yeah. Projectors, you know, so the projectors are, are viable and they were done first. So if, if anyone's like, you know, researched how like oblivion, the film was made, it was essentially that they just took like a wow. adjust, but they took like a gigantic white psych stage. That's like, you know, like a 270 white psych, you know, like 30 feet tall. And they used, I think, like 12 projectors or something like that and just like stitched them all together. So like when you walk in there, it just looks like this gigantic movie theater, except it's like um, like all the way around you. That's crazy. And then they filmed and they projected, you know, uh, 360 plates from like the top of like Hawaii or something like this, like big sky 
big sky captures in 360 and the set was all glass and reflective objects so it's just all being reflected you know that's all reflections from like the actual projection that was one of the first steps and that was um the main tech company behind that was lux machina hmm. and then lux machina continued to iterate on that and then they were also one of the lead tech companies for mandalorian when they switched it to leds so that's yeah, really long interesting. projectors came first it's completely viable uh it's depending on the scale it's still one of the only ways to do it because like leds you could build them big but projectors you can build them even bigger yeah. um and for much at a, cheaper you know, at, at a different yeah different scale sliding scale cost so it's definitely possible the footprint's just much different because you know led is just like a tv right you can imagine yeah. just like a flat wall with you know some decent rigging but a projector you need like a lot of space to be able to project to the wall so it, it depends on what you're shooting that's really interesting and i think this holds interesting applications not only for the filmmaking world but even for just like photography doing different kinds of portraits and headshots in a much more um concise and simple way because i mean projectors in photography is an old idea you just use a fun projection but thinking about this in terms of using something like unreal engine um, allows you to create images that you would never think you could create with budgets that you never think you'd have um which i mean has of course like a lot of negative connotations to actually going out and experiencing and creating these kinds of images but again the purpose is to be able to do this in like something like a quarantine or even on lower budgets or not having access to whatever it is that you're trying to create for an image uh it's really interesting like and, and i'm excited to see um how some of these applications are going to get a little bit more user-friendly and widespread is is the big question yeah, that's, I mean, that's part of my initiative is to take, you know, what is a, a fairly difficult uh, program to learn, like Unreal Engine, you know, it can, it can build uh, Final Fantasy the remake if you wanted yeah. to, you know, that's literally what they do. Uh, and I just kind of take the, the parts I think that are necessary and kind of uh, simplify it and package it and make it, you know, usable filmmakers. And I would also say like regarding tools, like I'm not sure how, you know, like business minded you know your your podcast and your your audiences but like that's 100% my angle on everything yeah is that you know if you're if you're approaching like image making from like art and feel and like so much of it, that is the experience and the process right like like the art photographers not the art photographers selling it but ones making stuff for their themselves you know if your process is about going outside of the woods and finding things and you know camping and and then finding the the photo then that's you know that's your process and that's what you want to do um this is probably not that but as we take it back to commerce um, and business and image making for money, right? And yeah. doing it for clients and doing it professionally. And this this is typically the domain where you're going to have um, bigger budgets, though you have restrictions of what the client wants you to do. These are just more tools, right? So like That's a client huge. wants this image and like you're probably not going to build the cathedral in real exactly. life, and nor are you going to Italy. And like you have a technique to do it and this is it. This gets it done in this makes everybody happy you know this is that's the more that's more the more practical way i try to i look at this stuff is it's like someone has a client that wants an image and how do we get that done right so that's just a different angle you know because i i see it i understand i understand like i like going outside and filming real sunsets that's lovely you know yeah. but i've also been on bmw shoots where we're waiting for that sunset and uh, the clouds are out and then it rained, you know, so it's like, exactly. and we had all the lights in the world and all the money and it. You can't stop. You can't really control that. And that's, uh, you know, directors upset. People are getting very angry and, uh, you know, so there's, there's different tools for different images. And if you keep in mind, like the, 
just the practical commerce part of like what is the majority i think of like commercial filmmaking like we need these tools in exactly. a lot of ways like we need to really get these images to people that's huge and i think that even because like a, a large part of what we want to do on the podcast is start to train like first of all for filmmakers is to know how can you grow um, your like teams and the people that you work with, which this opens up massive amounts of doors for just doing creative fun work to open up doors. But even on just a practical business side, uh, there, there's so much that you can do like an 18 year old with a rented Ursa Mini Pro 2 because it can, it, or G2 because it has the 12G SDI can set up something like this with either a green screen or with, um, with a, like a projector and with like a very, honestly, super low budget. And eventually you're going to be able to do this with something like, like the pocket 4k, if they get the right kind of connections and in, in systems out, eventually you, you would be you able it, to yeah. shoot like a commercial video or a commercial documentary and have the best interview angles, as well as like B-roll is in situations that you wouldn't be able to do in such a short amount of time and, and really be able to create super unique images with no excuse of limitation, except for your own creativity. And for like people who are starting out as well as just being able to have a massive crew, it, it opens up hundreds of doors, even to the point of portrait photography, you're, you're going to be able to take any image that you want in any scenario with like even saving money on your background lights, have one background and you're consistently able to create several different backgrounds uh, in, in something like Unreal Engine or Cinetracer. Yeah. Yeah. I, you've been paying attention. <laughs> um, you know, like <laughs> I talk with a lot of, you know, I'm very business, but I, I talk with a lot of manufacturers of um, people who make cameras, people who make lights, all the people you can imagine. It's like, you know, they, they need to be a big part of this to enable it. You know, there's new tech that has to happen in the lenses and lights and all that. But you know, we're we're all kind of looking at it, and you know, I'm early to call it the virtual production revolution, which is you know similar to the DSLR revolution. When yeah. all of a sudden it was like, hey, we all have like large format, you know, beautiful digital cinematography yeah. that used to cost so much money in shooting film and whatnot. People probably take that definitely take that for granted for now. I I do as well. But now it's you know, and then what did that enable? I think that enabled a lot of YouTubers, honestly, the people who are making that con content that used to cost like millions to produce like a TV show. They're like, what if I just did this every single day <laughs> and yeah. I just made my own money putting videos on YouTube? You know, it's enabled that entire generation of creators. And uh, I, I talk with a lot of the big YouTubers right now who are like kind of looking for, you know, the next thing. And the virtual production revolution would be that like, hey, you know, all those like visual effects that normally cost like millions of dollars that only you see on big movies. It's like, well, I'm doing those too now. It's like, and they look close, right? And obviously there's yeah. always like, the you know, insane things that you know avengers is going to do that we're not doing <laughs> yes but like the general premise of like hey can i film like this little youtube sketch this is this is the deployment i really look at too it's like can i film like with me and like my two friends on a, a green screen like and it looks like we're on the moon and it like really looks like we're on the moon though yes. like we're moving the camera the lights are matching it's like yeah we can it's like i don't have to render this stuff anymore it's just real time i'm looking at it through the camera and it's like that looks good and we want to go to like the sun now. Hey, there's the sun. It looks like that's a great sun. You know, so, so like all these things that used to be so expensive and slow and tedious, it's like they become like commodities almost, almost like, you know, how Instagram with a phone is. It's like photos used to be like, hey, we had to like develop the photo. This is like a each photo is so valuable time wise. You know, I think I see the same paradigm changing here. It's like, oh, yeah, we just all have VFX, like great VFX. Like what's of course, of course we do. Yeah, you know, I think that's kind of the, yeah. the switch that we're going to be seeing pretty soon. And that's kind of like the. 
the ground level deployment you'll see for most people is like all of a sudden like YouTubers have like insane VFX. It's like, where did this come from? That's huge. And, it, and it's going to be like, I think that it's, it's a big example of, of like the limitations of being a filmmaker or even the limitations of being a great director is your ability to explore those creative ideas without feeling like you can't. And I mean, in reality, the people who are going to get the Hollywood budgets are the people who put in the hard work, even if they don't have the tools. Um, but one of my favorite examples, I mean, this is a, a whole conversation right now. Uh, but one of my favorite examples of this was uh, the movie Tiger King um, or the show Tiger King. I loved, loved the docu-series and I did an entire um, just kind of like break video essay breaking down why people loved this ridiculous, awful human being. <laughs> and it had nothing to do with the tigers or uh, or the like the money or the, the power or all of the ridiculous things that were happening in the film. But I think it had to, more to do with the choices of the filmmakers and their ability to explore those things. And I think now there's no excuse to not explore these crazy outlandish thoughts and ideas in your stories. And, and I think the, the DSLR revolution and the, the, the full frame of revolution really started uh, that thought process for filmmakers in a sense that like you could create depth in such an easy way. Now it's creating depth in an entirely different direction. And, it, and I think that you're going to see a lot of different stories being told in the same way that now, like some of the, my favorite films were from filmmakers who started after I did <laughs> and they're just jumping in and really exploring the art form because they're they're They just know that there's no limitation to it now and they're losing excuses to not make these amazing stories. Yeah, definitely. And if you, you know, if you look at like the high end directors as like a case study, you know, like the Ridley Scott and Steven Spielberg and, and whatnot, and except for excluding Chris Dolan, it's like, you know, so many, like everyone starts in practical filmmaking, you know, yeah. Peter Jackson and, you know, uh, George Lucas, I guess he, he quickly moved into this space, but it's like you, you know, once you start executing like practical films, you know, it's like you, you realize the limitations of it. It's like, and you can do a lot and like you could read, you could make a whole movie in one room with a great actor and a good story. Right. So there's nothing to take or in the woods with a flashlight with your phone right now, there's nothing stopping you. Yeah. And if you did it, it would be great. The business is a whole different conversation, but yes. you know, you could make it for sure. But, you know, you see so many of these filmmakers just rapidly move into full virtual or a lot of virtual. You look at, like, uh, you know, Gravity. Gravity is 100%. It's pretty much yeah. 100% CG with, with like, some reference photography of Sandra Bullock. Even, if, even a filmmaker like that, you know, it's like, hey, what if we did it in space? And it's like, these are CG executions. These are things that are not practical to yes. do. Look at... You know, look, it's like, and they're kind of, everyone starts in practical filmmaking, you know, yeah. Peter Jackson and, you know, uh, George Lucas, I guess he, he quickly moved into this space. But it's like, you, you know, once you start executing like practical films, you know, it's like you, you realize the limitations of it. It's like, and you can do a lot and like you could read, you could make a whole movie in one room with a great actor and a good story. Right. So there's nothing to take or in the woods with a flashlight with your phone right now. There's nothing stopping you. Yeah. And if you did it, it would be great. The business is a whole different conversation, but yes. you, know, you could make it for sure. But, you know, you see so many of these filmmakers just rapidly move into full virtual or a lot of virtual. You look at like, uh, you know, gravity. Gravity is 100. It's pretty much 100 yeah. percent CG with with like some reference photography of Sandra Bullock. Even if even a filmmaker like that, you know, it's like, hey, what if we did it in space? And it's like these are CG executions. These are things that are not practical to yes. do. Look at. You know, look, it's like, and they're kind of cheesy in the beginning because the graphics are not so good and, and the filmmaking techniques were not there. They're, they're pioneering it. But you look at like Lord of the Rings, 
I remember watching that documentary when they were making, he said that like, he was like, eh, we, we would have wanted to make this 10 years ago, but we couldn't have. Yeah. It ha- there's just so much that CG now that we couldn't do now. So you see a lot of these filmmakers, it's like, it's one of the evolutions is like, okay, like let's leave the, the, vir- the real world and make something completely virtual. And I think we're just going to have, not to say that one's better than the other, but I think most filmmakers eventually go there or want to at least try it. They might go back to, you know, they might do both like live action and full virtual or hybrid. But I think we're going to see more people enabled to do that, to explore that. It's like where not everyone has gravity budgets or Lord of the Rings budgets. Now you might be able to. It's like, what if this whole thing just takes place on the moon? Or yeah. what if it just takes place in a field that's sunset? To be honest, it's like you can't really film that practically very easily. So like often the have I had that limitation where there's not like this specific look that I've imagined in my mind. Oh, I think I cut out there for a second. Sorry. You did. I was just waiting. Till you came <laughs> back. <laughs> I was just saying, uh, I, I think there's been several times where I, uh, I've, uh, where I've wanted this, this idea in my mind and there just hasn't been a location in the budget that I could accomplish that with even being a field. Yeah. And yeah, I think that, and I think it's going to come down to, as it always does with any tool set is just taste and execution. And you know, I think Dave Fincher is one of the people who's always had like very well executed CG things and people don't even know. They don't even care. Like Fight Club, how much of Fight Club is CG is a lot, but people don't really care. I think about yeah. it because the story is there. So I think there's just a lot of, I mean, I, I always think of Dave Fincher, his stuff's just always so tastefully done and yeah, his DP as well. It's just like, I, I'm looking for like, like I think short, like I'm interested in short films in this space and like I'm not a DP that was ever cared about short films just because there's no business model for it really for that's real. viable at this point but like I think just like I'm even interested in like art films just like something that is expressive that makes yeah. you like that just like it feels like something and I, I think that this medium can really do that uh, I look at um I always get the name wrong uh, Love, Death and Robots or whatever yes <laughs> oh my gosh name. it's like you know like I, I really think that like I, for one, can make some stuff like that and, and collaborating with other filmmakers in the space. And it's like, we don't need to get Netflix behind it. That would be lovely. In some ways, that's lovely. In other ways, it's not lovely yeah. to have them with you. But it's like, it's like no, let's just go do this ourselves. Like, we all have some money saved up. Let's go shoot this thing and, and have it be like, cool. That's that's my main. It's like I just it's like back in high school when I wanted to do music videos. Like I just want to make cool things that are like kind of evocative. That like people are like oh that's that's cool or like oh it feels like something right. You know it's like I've I've been like mostly like a commercial salesperson my entire life. Yeah, <laughs> professional careers like selling cars and selling products, which is good, which has trained me to like you know I think understand what looks good and what what people react to. You know, but I see this as like kind of like a freeing thing. It's like, I'll just shoot it down here in my basement and it's going to be dope. And it's, I'll put it on Instagram and YouTube. And it's like, if it's good, it'll blow up. And like, that's a, that's not my business necessarily. But I was like, it's something I'm interested in expressing. And, and that's what I'm interested in is people doing something like, well, right. It's just like, oh, look, there's like a million, you know, tanks exploding cool on the moon. It's like, okay, cool. But like, you know, can you do something that's like tasteful? Exactly. In that space. And you don't, it doesn't require like, there are artists that can get the millions of dollars behind them to make art pieces, but maybe we don't need that anymore. We can do it with like, you know, like 10,000 or something, which may sound like a lot to some people, but 10,000 is like crafty on like, you know, exactly on a big set. That's so big. Getting actors and and just, just feeding people for like a couple days. That's like, that's like 10 grand, you know, like, I know, you know, so, you know, but that's, 
but just know that ten, ten in you know in New York on a st- is nothing. You couldn't even get a stage for a exactly. Day, you know, and, and, exactly. so it's like those type of executions. I think we're gonna. That's what I want is like really like evocative short pieces. You know, and like feature film. There's no way of cutting it that a feature film is not expensive, that's even if so it's just one person in a room. It's it's still just how many days and editing and then it's hard. So I'm I'm really looking for like nice. Love Death and Robots. I just look at that and I'm just like, I think we can make those, but like much easier. That makes me so happy. And it's fun to think about that uh, in the location that you're in, as well as just this filmmaking space as a whole, because you're in New York, I'm pretty sure, right? I'm in Boston now, but I, I still, my mind is still New York City. Yeah. I lived there for 10 years. And that's where I learned filmmaking and still go back to and, and LA. I go to LA to shoot still. That's awesome. I, I do most of my work out of Atlanta and the Atlanta industry is really, really unique because it's such a new filmmaking space. And there's a bunch mm-hmm. of just like I've never made a film before kind of people. And it's been really fun. The last interview I, I published was um, based around a filmmaker that I, I'm really close with. And he uh, had he was an actor and like a, a company producer for a while, but he just wanted to be a director and a DP. And so he went to this program that I've been a part of where it's just this uh, like open mic night for filmmakers where it's in a garage. There's a hundred of them that show up every week. They get an, like a set of rules and then they'll make a one minute film by the next Monday. And usually about mm-hmm. 50 people make the film and they do this every week. And so my buddy made uh, 30 short films in 12 months. And then he also worked on, I think he said 72 short films that year. And just like, I've never seen anybody grow so much as a filmmaker from not knowing yeah. how to press like record. And, and the only other thing that I've th- seen that's comparable to that is YouTube. But there's a lot of times so many limitations to like, I have to make something for something versus I just need to make something. And, and I think yeah. it's going to be really unique to see is um, people stepping into the space and, and especially with virtual production where they're doing the experience. Like, I feel like you get a massive educational experience after you finished a feature, but you also get a very similar experience after you finished a short film. And the issue is there's not a lot of financial benefit in creating that short film. But if you can do 30 short films in a year that are great, then you're going to be able to have a massive amount of knowledge compared to doing the one feature film in that year from the creative implementations to the different ideas that have been circulated to even just being willing to do a handful of bad ones. And now it's going to be a lot easier to be able to do that. And, it, and it's fun to think about like a lot of the different spaces in, in worlds. I think you would love, I mean, I'm sure you've done some stuff with Atlanta, Atlanta filmmakers, but they like compared to so many different areas and industries. My favorite thing about Atlanta is this just desire to create. And to just create like a bunch of different things. And one of my favorite things being um, at Leg Day, which is the film event, uh, every every week at the very beginning of the night, you see uh, a screen on the screen. It says films made since the conception of this idea. And I think it just hit nine hundred and ninety nine. <laughs> and I mean, like they're, they're one minute short films made by people who've never touched a camera and then people who own Aria Lexus and, and people who own Red Heliums. And so it's all these different people who go and celebrate the craft. And eventually that's really going to be the space where you see these people creating the next love, death and robots. Cause that kind of content people are getting really hungry for is I want to experience a piece or like a vignette of a story and, and a bunch of them, um, which has its benefits and disbenefits I'm sure, but it's so much fun to not feel like you have to create this two hour saga and to just explore an idea. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, to be honest, TikTok is that form as well, where For it's real? like, hey, here's this meme or this audio clip and there's just all riff on it. And it's like 
some of the best content like on the internet like clearly like people like filmmakers may not want to admit that to themselves after they've been sitting on their phone for like three hours of like oh i'm still watching this like it's you know it's because it's real people I, I think it's i think tiktok is like the full evolution of what the dslr revolution was supposed to be like it's not necessarily like traditional cinema right it's vertical and it's it's a phone but it's real people filming things that other people want to watch and there's money behind it so that is an you know that's an industry and i think youtube is the same thing like you know hey we got a camera i want to talk about computers a living you can do it that's you know so as soon as you have a camera you put videos on the internet and that becomes your living with money it's like you are now a professional filmmaker and this is a, this is the craft that you've chosen to go into and, you know so i think that this like you know internet and massive iterate like iteration at a global scale with a with a platform that's monetized that everyone can see distribution being free is still somehow a new concept to a lot of people that you don't need to do the you don't necessarily need to do the same distribution routes like you know festivals and netflix and whatnot it's like there are this exists now you know and i think it's just it, it maturing and seeing the quality uh continue to rise but uh just a different take on that same doing like a doing 30 short films it's like yeah tiktok yeah that's <laughs> they're huge. doing they're doing you know they they do it and like i've been following a lot of the top people on all those platforms like the dancing the dancing community that's come out of gimbals and phones now is like massive these were like there's like these little dance studios in like definitely in atlanta definitely dance community in atlanta it's like this was like 20 people who used to just dance in a room by themselves for fun and then they go to like you know they made like a competition every year or something like that that was it now they're like massive youtubers you know what i mean and like and the money they're making is like well beyond more more than any dancer ever ever used to make who would just like dance in their house you know what i mean it's like so there's this whole the ecosystem there exists already in my opinion like this is already how it's how it's going and i look at just like well cool how do we loop in like okay you're dancing in your house how do we make you dance on the moon you know yes. or somewhere else you know it's it's like and I look at like King Vader and Corridor Digital there. We've been working together a little bit or at least talking. And it's like, it's going to happen. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think the iteration is definitely important, like you were describing. And it, the platforms now exist as well to put them there, put out the content. That's so big. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see. Like for me, it's just I love seeing the new opportunities open up because there's just new things that like honestly just inspire me like as a filmmaker. Oh, my gosh, I would have never thought to tell that story in this way, in that simple way. And every time that I see something like that, it just completely blows my mind as to like what ideas that I've had for the longest time. Even thinking back to ideas I had when I was like a little kid, like wanting to like create these crazy things and then being told I couldn't. That, that's now becoming less and less of a reality. Like, everything that was imaginative as a child is starting to become very possible possible to me as a filmmaker today um, for little to no money. And, and then when you amplify it with some some financial backing, it becomes like better than I would have ever imagined. I, th I think that, you know, with the lockdown, I, I talked to a lot of like, quote unquote, like creators of like you know, Instagrammers and YouTubers, whatever, filmmakers, like it's all the same. It's all the same thing, but it's like, it's like you could create amazing things that people want to see in your house, most yeah. likely, you know, and you don't even need like a great camera or, or really anything. It's like, you just have to do it and make it your thing and then commit to it and like really do it. And, you know, so I think that we're, you know, I, 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 I always look at like virtual, I think, I think it's like a distraction to people. They're like, oh, like what, what crazy thing can I do? But it could be something simple. 
like if you you know have a virtual room and it's just a window but it's the perfect window with the perfect light and it's consistent and like you say you shot like you know this one piece of dialogue over and over again like a hundred times over a week and like same scene every single time but you have to do it differently a hundred times over and over and over and over and it's really basic but you finally get like this really perfect take out of it and you post it that's that's the kind of stuff i'm kind of interested in that and it's it i used to be like a musician i'm gonna get a drum set again hopefully that's awesome. one of my one of my goals my quarantine goals is to get <laughs> one um is it's like i'm gonna play this same jazz song a thousand times and improv over the same bars a thousand times and that's what it takes to get like you know the perfection to get like that final take that you like love and that is like you know what got recorded and like everyone knows or like Billie Eilish, it's like she was in her house with her brother. We've probably all seen that. Her it, The interviews, it's like the house is very small and <laughs> it has like one computer and she's just singing into it. And, it, you know, has the same, you know, Fruity Loops. I forget what they use them at Logic, I think. You know, it's like that's that's what I'm kind of interested in. It's like single creators stuck in their house making something and, and they, they turn into Billie Eilish or they turn into like, you know, the YouTubers we all know. Like I, I follow so many comedy YouTubers. It's like they just sit in their house and talk to their phone. <laughs> but it's some of the most engaging content out there because they're practiced at it. Yeah, they've probably been talking to their phone for like years and years and years. And it's like it's not the background, it's not the audio quality, it's not the lighting. And you can't deny those. Oh, you can if you want to traditional filmmakers. But it's like, but the business model is there. Yeah, and they just they're killing it. You know, so I'm interested in doing that in a virtual way. It's like so it doesn't have to be like something that's like ridiculous like insane like you know like compete against like you know transformers and avengers they're always that's their business model is really to be like oh like what if thanos destroyed half the world and we you know we show you know like that's like oh yeah. but it's like i think there's like a much simpler uh mecha uh, much simpler like take on it and that's that's kind of what i'm interested with virtual productions like what if i have like a virtual actor playing a song right say it's a music video they play the song the same every single time it's the same set or maybe you just change the lighting a little bit do a thousand times in a month what's the last one look like you know what what could that be you could never do that to an actor in real life without you could yeah. do that like there's there's like this repetition in like kind of like craziness that filmmake the artists have right it's like you paint a thousand pictures you play the song a thousand times now we can film the same scene a thousand times and what does that create i'm interested in like smaller scale experiments like that as well yeah that's huge and i think that that really goes to show like like they talk about you being a professional once you've put in your 10,000th hour into something. And the issue is so many people feel like, especially like this is huge for people who aren't in the big cities for film or photography. Um, and, and they want to get involved in a lot of these image creating ideas. You can put the thousand hours in before you ever step on a set. And there's a lot of things on set that you're not going to learn um, from just like creating pretty images or creating cool stuff. But all of the things that you're going to be able to learn about the creative art form and even just the practical skills to be able to be safe or, or all of these different things or, or even just applying like what you actually want, which is to create cool stuff, is now like accessible everywhere in the world. Anywhere that you have Wi-Fi, you can really easily start to create something super unique. And I'm excited to hear some of the stories that come out of specifically what you're doing because you're really opening up a lot of those doors for everybody. 
Um, but we could, I would love to go on and on. I think that we should definitely do a second podcast because I definitely want to talk to you about some of the companies you're working with and how you're hoping to innovate. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you any last thoughts and pieces of advice you'd give to photographers and filmmakers on growing in their craft as well as growing in their ability to build relationships with other creatives. Yeah. So I would say, you know, uh, first of all, like embrace social media and like get on top of that super hard. I mean, like you have to be, you're, you're, you're presenting every single day on the internet and there's lots of platforms. And so take that extremely seriously. I take that more seriously than like a college degree at this point, you know? Um, uh, the second thing I'd say is like, you know, pick your focus, pick the thing that you think you like or you do, or you do like, you know, yeah. and go like, go like super hard on it. Don't listen to anybody, even if it doesn't make any money. And it's like, it just seems like ridiculous, but you like it. Go as hard as you possibly can, as long as you can. Uh, no matter, as long, you know, keep living, hopefully, you know, keep, you know, surviving. <laughs> yes. But sometimes you don't, you do it to the point where it absolutely breaks and it's like, you know, a, a failure. That's fine. And then you pick the next thing, you know, pick the next thing and go just as hard at that. Um, and I've done that in multiple fields, like music and all sorts of things, but like super hard. And like people know who I was in that field within the first like year of me doing it. I've switched multiple fields. My latest one is retro production. So the po and then the, f the point being that um, when I think when it comes to being an, an artist of some sort, artist is kind of a funny word, but like when you're making things, right? And so like, say you've, you've invested in your social media and you've gone really hard into a couple of different things and you're, you've gotten pretty good at them, but like, hey, they're not like your business yet. It's not like what you do. Um, you know, once you have like kind of some sort of presence on the internet, you don't have to be an influencer or anything like that. But like you have some presence, like some people like know what you're like about and what you do. You know, the, one, of the, one of my guiding things is to create things that people haven't seen before. Right. Mm. The, the world and people love new things. Right. So it's like the way that you create new things, in my opinion, is you take all those things that you went super hard on. Right. You went into music, you went into sports, you went into filmmaking, you went into audio recording, whatever. And you combine them now. So you're a combination of these disciplines that you've gone super hard. in. when you combine those together, you create new things. Right. You take someone who's like, I spent 10 years playing the guitar and 10 years making films. And now I make guitar films and they're fucking crazy. I don't know if I can swear, <laughs> but it's like, and then you have something new. You have like the new YouTube channel. You have the new Instagram, you know, it's Instagrammer, you know, and it's like people want to put like these like platform labels on people. It's like, no, that's someone who played the guitar for 10 years and then they picked up a camera and now they're making fire Instagram videos of guitars, guitar songs. And I watch that's those. Huge. It's awesome. Or it's like, you love your dog and you love filmmaking and now you have a dog brand like these i've filmed like commercials for these people they have more money than you know they should for, <laughs> for doing that you know so it's like i think it, embrace the crazy interests you have and just go all the way in they don't have to make money today you know and then when you you know kind of i think mature a little bit and you look you understand how the business around it works and like you have your take on it combine your crazy skills and put them on the internet you create new content and opportunities happen for me it's um 10 years of cinematography and like, like, you know, five or six years of like real time CG graphics come together. And that's, that's now a field called that's, that was not a, that was not a thing. That's huge. When I started this, it is now virtual production. That's what's fueling Mandalorian. 
Lion King and a whole bunch of movies we can't talk about yet. <laughs> it's video games and cinematography. Yeah. But no one told no, you know, I don't look for like approval back then. It's like it's like uh, I'm gonna go like I just did cinematography for text. Like I'm gonna start making like video games. People think you're crazy, but it doesn't matter. That's that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make this stuff happen. I also wanted to do social media, and and by combining them, by making novel things, the the connections I've made, and once you combine them together, it's like it can be fire. It's not that's always, you know, if you if you pick two duds and they're duds, then it's no, you know, zero times zero is zero. But you know, but that's that's why that's my like approach with things so like even if like however many years from now i'm like hey virtual production that was cool i'm gonna but like i love honestly music i i really want to get back into music it's like what happens when you combine filmmaking virtual production and music i'm pretty sure something cool is gonna happen i don't know what but i'm gonna put it on the internet and i bet it's pretty awesome (laughs) i think that the industry the music industry would love uh some sort of something like that so that's that's been like my life and my experience and like, you know, in the beginning it seems kind of like disconnected and disjointed, but the world likes new things and your angle to make new things is to combine like what you know, with something else, you know, and make something cool happen. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Well, Matt, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. It was a really unique conversation. I'm definitely going to be pulling you on as many times as I can. Uh, If this is your first time listening to the Crew Coffee or the Improved Photography podcast, I would love for you to check out both the opposites of them. Uh, If you're a photographer, I think it's really worth going in and diving into storytelling from filmmaking and understanding how to tell stories in unique ways and how to use different unique tools like CineTracer to be able to apply that. And if you're a filmmaker who wants to get more into photography, I think it's a really great way to focus on the images, the lighting, and the different kinds of creativity from the dozens and hundreds of different photographers who really apply these ideas. And if this is your um, not your first time listening to the podcast, but you've been listening for a while, I'd love for you to leave a review. It's a great way for other people to hear about it on the Apple podcast. So until next time, I'm super grateful for the amazing people that jump on the podcast and for you guys listening. Thank you so much.